is what chapter 24 of the story is all about. As we read through the story, we see, like I said, his, his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And at, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching on prayer. And one of the things that set Jesus apart was his relationship with his father. He would pray, he would refer to God as my father. And in the day, some would say that was blasphemy. It's like, hmm, I don't know, personal relationship with God, like he loves us as a whole, but to say my father was radical. We know this is because he is the son of God. At this point in time, he had not yet revealed himself as such, which Greg is going to talk about next week. But the crowds were amazed. They were astonished. They were flabbergasted. Whatever kind of word you want to use, they were amazed at the way Jesus taught and specifically that he taught with authority. Now, during that day, the people who had authority to teach were, were rabbis, the teachers of the law, and they went through a rigorous process of becoming a rabbi, being able to teach. They would have had the entire Old Testament scripture memorized. They would have had the first five books, the, to- uh, the Torah, memorized by probably age 10, 11, 12, and then they would have memorized the rest of scripture by the time they turned adults, so around 16. And then they would go and they would seek to put themselves out there and hope that a rabbi would take them to teach them. Now the rabbis would say, come follow me. And what this meant, if they said, come follow me, it was mean that they are worthy, that they are good enough to follow the rabbi. Now, the role of a disciple is to become like the rabbi. They'd walk around, they'd follow him around, and they would seek to learn everything they can about the teachings and the ways of the rabbi so that they might be like him. So the rabbi, when he says, come follow me, is saying, I think you can be like me. Now Jesus, he took 12, 12 disciples. He would have had other disciples following him around, but there was 12 specifically the apostles we know them as. He was kind of odd because he took probably like average students, students who would be like maybe a C, maybe some, maybe some D pluses, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a, a B in the bunch, I don't know. But most rabbis would take the best of the best who had gone through school and, and knew how to answer questions and they, they showed promise. But Jesus went specifically, for example, to James and John who were in, in a boat with their father Zebedee fishing. So they're learning the family trade. They failed out of rabbi school. They didn't get there. Same thing with Peter and Andrew, Matthew, the task collector. They're all working. They're all doing things because they didn't get to be a, follow a rabbi around. Um, and so this is important because Jesus said that they were worth it. Jesus said that they had what it takes. And as, with Jesus as our rabbi, as our teacher, our master, he, through his death and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit, wants us to come follow him. So this morning, as we dig into scripture, I want us to just have this attitude of humility, this attitude of sitting at the feet of our rabbi, 
sitting at the feet of Jesus, seeing what he has to teach us. He is our authority. So before we, we go any farther, I'm going to go and pray. I'm going to pray for this passage. So if you bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that this morning we would have humble hearts and minds to come before you and see what you have for us. What is it you're trying to teach us, speak to us today? We pray that we would be your disciples, that we might learn to be more like you, just as that song we just sang. pray that would be our prayer for this, this text. Father, I pray you'd be with me and just give me humility that I might step aside and that you, your truth might uh, shine through this scripture. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so you guys, uh, now you can turn to Luke 15. We're going to spend uh, the rest of the time in Luke 15, specifically 11 through 32, which is the story of the prodigal son. Now, a little, little context first. The first two parables in that chapter are the story of the lost sheep. So there's a lost sheep, one out of a hundred. And we go, go and find the lost sheep. The next one, a widow loses a coin, and it's one out of ten. And then try and find the coin. And the th- third one is one out of two. And the lost son. So we see this progression of importance that this is, this is the climax of Jesus' teaching in this chapter. Now he's responding specifically to the critique that the Pharisees had of him spending time with sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees didn't like it. They're like, why are you spending time with those? Jesus, as we know, came not for the healthy but for the sick. But we're going we're gonna to dig into this. Uh, side note, for those of you who don't know what prodigal means, like I did for probably about half my life because we just throw the word around, prodigal means someone who wastes something. So waste money, waste substance. They are irresponsible. That is what prodigal means. So the prodigal son, he wastes father's inheritance in this case, which we'll get to. So let's dig in, um, starting in verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. All right, so we're stopping. A man had two sons. Now, we call it the parable of the prodigal son, but the first verse is about the father and that he had two sons. So with this mindset, we're going to talk about the sons, but I want our focus to be on the father and the way he interacts with us this morning. Moving on. The younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Again, pausing. I'm going to be pausing a lot. So just, um, this statement, to, to ask for inheritance from a father, especially in this day, biblical times, was extremely disrespectful. That's probably putting it lightly. It was basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have my money that I'd get right now? Now, most of us, Probably can't imagine saying that to our father. Some of us might. Some of us might have. But this is what he does. And so moving on, something even in the day, a little more, even more controversial. Not many days later, verse 14, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate and loose living. Now, in this day, family and honor were huge. I mean, we, hopefully we have family values. Hopefully we value families. 
But in this day, it was even greater. Like if you wronged your family, if you left your family, if you shamed your family, it was a big deal. Sometimes you'd be punished, sometimes even by death. So when he not only, it's like, Dad, I wish you're dead, give me your money, okay. The father gives him the money, which says something about God, that he's willing to give us control, at least what we assume is control. But then he goes off. He breaks from his family, which is even, in some ways, even worse than saying your dad's dead. He's like, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to go party, party, party away all my wealth, which is exactly what he does. He parties it all away. In verse 14, he kind of reaps what he sows. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he became poor, most likely homeless. So you, you think he's at rock bottom, but really he's not, not yet. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine or pigs. Now this is a, the Jews were under the control of the Roman Empire. And there would have most likely been plenty of Jews throughout, scattered throughout the Roman Empire in different cities. Some bigger cities, synagogues. So most likely there would have been someone he could have gone to. Some of his Jewish brothers. But instead, out of pride or shame, whatever he goes to a Gentile to work. Now, the word here in Greek means day laborer, and a day laborer is actually lower than a slave. And in the day, slaves were somewhat esteemed. Like, yes, they were slaves, but they had the opportunity to be freed. Um, they had a lot of respect. They got to live with their masters, and most of the time, masters treated them like part of the family, which is different than our mindset sometimes when we think of slaves. But a day laborer didn't have any of that. It just worked, and then he had no place to stay. It was terrible pay most of the time. And so he was lower than a slave. Not only that, but he was working with pigs. And, and the Jews saw pigs as unclean. In fact, eating a flesh of a pig was like renouncing your faith. So spending his days with pigs was even worse and you think he hit rock bottom there, we move into the next verse. And he wants to eat the pig's food. That's how bad it gets. And, but, things get better. Verse 17. I want you to really hone in on this verse. This is, this is the start of something significant. But when he came to his senses, but when he came to his senses, all right, so, like I said, I'm pausing a lot. He came to his senses. He woke up. He's like, oh my goodness. Why am I doing this? This is a terrible life. It's one of those aha moments like, oh, I'm, I'm being so dumb right now, which we all have in different ways. He came to his senses. Now, keep this in mind as we move forward. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? So moving on, verse 18. Look at this. He came to his senses, and he says this. I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now, heaven in that day sinned against God and in your sight. So against God and my father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Make me as one of your hired men. So basically, he just wants 
instead of being a day laborer for this Gentile, he's like, I'll be a day laborer for my dad. He'll treat me better. So he comes to his sense. He wakes up. And then he's like, okay, I need to do something about this. So he starts formulating a plan. He's like, I, I, I need to confess. I need to be like, okay, I need to admit that I, what I did was wrong, that I'm not worthy of being the son. And a lot of times, that's where we stop. A lot of times, that's where we stop. But that's not where he stops. Verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. He got up and came to his father. He was moved to action. He actually did something. And we'll come to that later. But while, so he's, he's headed home. While, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. So the father, the one who had been scorned, shamed, probably had heard stories through the grapevine like, man, your son's wasting all your money, you know. Oh, he's homeless somewhere. He runs to his son. Now, a lot of times we think, okay, this is, this is the epitome of the Father's heart right here. He's running to us, which is significant. But most of us, even if we felt some bitterness towards our, our children, would probably still run to them and be excited to see them. What he does next, I think, is what's central to the Father's heart. So let's read on. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, all right. So the son, so th- at this point, he's, he's embracing the father. And he's like, okay, I need, to, I need to get this confession out. So it really was on his heart. He, he starts it up, and he says this. This is verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against God and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So may, he doesn't get to the part about slaves, about being one of his father's hired men. The father interrupts him with this. Father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat And celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. So his father doesn't even let him get to the part where he's like, okay, I'm not worthy. I want to be one of your slaves because I know it's even better. He's like, no, get robes, get a ring, get sandals, let's kill a calf, and let's celebrate. Now, robes in this day would have signified authority. So putting robes on him would be the return of the authority of his son, the father's authority, authority in the son's life. The ring would have signified inheritance and sonship. So essentially what he is saying is, you are still my son. You still have the same standing in my eyes, and we're going to celebrate. So this, act of, this is the act of grace. That just, the picture of God right here is what we need to look at. And then not only that, he decides to kill a fattened calf. Now, fattened calves would have been used for 
big Jewish celebrations with lots of people. Uh, a classic example would be the Day of Atonement, which is one of the biggest Jewish days of the year, most important. And so killing a fattened calf would be like really expensive, huge party. It's a, it's a big deal. You're worth a fattened calf to me. You know, I probably shouldn't tell your wife that or your girlfriend, but... But, but we see this, this radical display of grace by the Father. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, we, we have the story to now learn from, but the story doesn't end there. Starting in verse 25, Now his older son was in the field. When he came up and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. So son's older son, the son we usually don't like, like I don't want to be like him, he's out in the field working his butt off, comes back. He's like, man, there's a party going on. Like, I want to be a part of that. And he's like, well, what's the deal? And he's like, your brother. Your brother has come home, and we're celebrating. So here's his response in verse 28. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. So basically, he threw a fit. He's like, it's not fair. Threw a fit. Now, we've had our moments. We throw fits every once in a while. But majority of the time, when something awesome happens, when someone comes back into our life, we're at least kind of happy. None of that. None of that here. So we read on. He's not willing to go in. He's throwing a fit. His father came out and began pleading with him. So this is the second instance of the father pursuing his sons. First, we have him running to the son who came home, the prodigal son. This time, he's going outside, which in that day... Because he was the host of the party, it would have been dishonorable, shameful for him to leave the party. So he goes outside, and it's a sign of love to his son, like, I want you to be with me in celebrating this. And he begins pleading with him. And this is, uh, this is what the son says again. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. And I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. I've always wanted a young goat. I've actually had goat uh, in Kenya. Tastes pretty good. But keep that in mind. Young goat, we're going to come, there's lots of things to come back to. Young goat, celebrating with friends. But basically, he starts comparing himself, like, I'm so much better than my brother. Why is this? Ha- like, I don't get it. Like, this should be celebrating me. Like, why can't I ever do this? And he finishes up in verse 30. He says, when the younger son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, which is an accusation he probably didn't have any. He's just throwing around accusations at this point. You killed the fattened calf for him. And here's the father's response again. If you take nothing else from today, this morning, take verse 31. The father said to his son, 
You have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. You have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. And then he wraps up, Jesus wraps up this parable, the Father saying, But we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost, and now is found. We don't know what the brother's response was. The invitation's left open. So I want to go back. I'm going to go back to each of these sons, and I'm going to come back to the father. Let's go back to the prodigal son. I just want to get, get this out in the open. We are all prodigal sons and daughters. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So don't use that as an excuse to not listen to this part. Like, oh, well, I'm not a sinner, so I know that, and I don't have to listen to this. Specifically, right now, write this question down. How am I like the prodigal son? How have I squandered the father's love? What areas of my life, what relationships do I have, what things have I done and not done that have squandered the father's love in my life? It doesn't matter how big it is, how small it is. It doesn't matter if it's a white lie you told, or you have a habit of telling white lies, or if you're addicted to pornography, or drugs, or vanity, or laziness, what are the things in your life where you are prodigal and that you need to return to God? Now, some of you have had the moment of coming to your senses, just like the prodigal did. You had the moment of, oh, aha, yeah, okay, I probably shouldn't be doing this. This is a bad thing for me to be doing. Some of you have had that moment. That's, that's, that's a step. That's a good thing. But some of you have left it there. Some of you have left it there. You haven't done anything else. The next step the prodigal takes, we see, was that he actually started thinking about what he should do. Okay, I need to apologize to my dad. I need to go home and just beg forgiveness and mercy. Which, by the way, the father, I didn't mention this, could have been justified in stoning him. That, that would have been with the times in certain families for what he had done, the shame that he had brought to the family. So you've had your come to senses moment, and you've got to formulate a plan. So that's step two. We're getting practical right now, for those of you who like that. Step two, think about what you need to be doing. Okay, I have this area of my life that's prodigal. I need to think this through. I need to th- be wise, I need to pray about it. You have to get to step three. The prodigal got up and went to his father. He acted on it. He didn't just think about it. He didn't just have this moment of waking up, coming to his senses. He thought it through and then he actually acted on it. And that's where we way too often fall short. So my challenge to those of you which is probably everyone, in some area of your life, whatever area this is, if you don't know, well, find someone you love. Well, first step, confess it to God. Confess it to yourself. Confess that this is an issue. Find someone you love, though. Me and Greg will be up here. There are other ministers. Anytime after this, we, we can play that role for this morning. Find someone you love. Confess whatever you're struggling with. 
and then come up with a plan. Now, I wish I could give you individual things like you need to do this and you need to do this. The reality is everyone is different. Every situation is different. But in the context of community, in the body of Christ, with the Holy Spirit, a plan can, can come together and you need to act on it. It's better to do something than nothing most of the time. So that's my challenge to any of you, all of you, actually. Now, if you're one of the ones, like me, at certain points in my life, I'm like, Samuel, like, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't have anything. I can't think of anything. Well, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's okay. It's okay. Like, if you're not convicted, if you're not feeling like, oh, there's an area of life, that's, that's fair. That's a lot of us a lot of the time because we don't think about it enough. There are some obvious things. But if that's you, in the spirit of coming before Jesus, trusting his authority, in humility, I challenge you this week, and really, I mean, for the rest of your lives, but, if, you know, goal setting this week, I challenge you to get on your knees, literally get on your knees this week. I mean, like, the posture of your body is more important than you think. Being willing to kneel down in submission, which is kind of awkward for some of us, kind of weird, for, it's really important. So this is a good sign of humility. Get on your knees once, twice, every morning this week. I don't know. Maybe you're a night person. Do that. And pray, God, reveal to me the areas of my life that I'm ignorant of. Reveal to me the areas that I'm prodigal. I challenge each and every one of you to do this. I also warn you because... If you pray this prayer, and if you pursue God in this way, He will answer you, and you will find things about yourself you don't like. And then you'll be faced with a challenge. Am I going to actually do something about it? Am I going to return to the Father? That's my challenge for those of you who don't have anything on your mind right now. Give it to God. Let Him show you. Now we get to the part which a lot of us are like, in this story, I mean, Many of us have probably read it before. If not, it's fine. This is the part, the, the older son is the part, like, I don't like that guy. He's, he's a tool. I don't like that guy. Like, he, he's so self-righteous and prideful. But the reality is, many of us, and all of us in certain ways, are exactly like the older brother as well. We think that we're better than others, whether it's by our thoughts most often by our actions. Sometimes it's ignorant, but the way we live our lives says a lot about how we think of others. Now, the older son in this story was the primary critique of the Pharisees. Jesus was giving this example as an example of the Pharisees not being okay with him spending time with sinners. Now, I'm not going to call any of you guys a Pharisee. If I did, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Because many of the Pharisees had a lot of good things going on. They had a lot of good teachings. There's, there's many examples in the Bible of, of Pharisees who um, save apostles, come to Jesus. You know, it's not a bad thing. But we need to realize there is a Pharisee in all of us in some way. Now, the, the primary area is comparison in this way. Pharisees love to compare themselves to others. Their teachings were sound, but their actions were not. So who this morning 
If you didn't write this down, how am I like the older son? Who this morning are you comparing yourself to? Are you looking down on? Who this morning do I need to reconcile with? And that, that brings us to the challenge in this way. Who are you going to dine with? And I'm not, I'm not saying go find the nearest sinner and go dine with them. Like, no. That'd probably, you know, actually be a bad thing uh, as far as fitting this story. But who are you afraid of? Who do you look down on? Who do you need to go and say, I'm sorry for judging you? Who do you need to go to? Maybe it's a stranger. just like, I've never taken the time to even say hi to them. It's not a lifelong commitment. Like, oh, I need to be their friend forever. No, it's just like, let's actually be the church. Let's welcome each other. Let's, let's show the love of the Father. Now, the second part, which I think is, for me, hits even harder, is this. I think that the elder son struggles with self-worth. In the same way we compare ourselves that's better than others, we also compare ourselves that's worse than others. Let's look at uh, verse 29. This is where, where I see this. He answered his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. Now, the word serving right here, the root word is doulos, which in Greek means slave. So his attitude of serving his father is that I was your slave. So we get a glimpse here that his relationship with his father really isn't much better than the prodigals. And I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with your friends. Hmm. Um, if he would have gotten a young goat, he still doesn't want to celebrate with his father, with the community. He's like, I'm going to go off my friends and party. Just like the prodigal. Just like the prodigal. And, and the, the part that really gets me right here. You have never given me a goat. Never given me a goat. I bet you wouldn't have picked that out of this passage. You've never given me a goat. Now, he doesn't think he's worth a calf. He doesn't think he's worth the fattened calf. His view of the father's love is so little that he thinks he's only worth a goat. Now, this is me. This is one of my primary struggles. I oftentimes think I'm only worth a goat. We are worth a calf. You're worth a calf. I'm worth a calf. We are worth celebrating. We have value in the Lord's eyes. And so, my challenge to myself and you guys in this area, a couple things. First, we need to spend time in Scripture. Whenever you doubt your identity in Christ... You have to be in the Word, and you have to be in prayer. You need to be praying the promises of Christ, of God, about who He says you are, 
as often as you can. Memorize those scriptures. I know it seems kind of simple, and maybe some of you think it's boring, because I mean, sometimes memorize scripture, unfortunately, sometimes it's boring, I know. But it shouldn't be, and it doesn't have to be. Who does God say you are? You're a fattened calf. That's a good thing. You can laugh. And for both sons, whether you're prodigal son number one or prodigal son number two, because the reality is they're both prodigal. They both don't have the relationship with the father that they should. One of them was prodigal of heart and body. One of them was prodigal of just heart. But we need to understand. Man, we, we just need to get this in our minds and our hearts. That we have been completely restored. The robe, the ring, and the calf are ours. The Father wants to give them to us. He has given them to us in Christ. We have to understand this. So again, I, I come back to verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me. Daughter, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. This is the promise and the heart of the Father for our lives. Everything that is God's in Christ is ours. And so it brings us to the last part, the last question. How am I like the Father? How am I like the Father? How are you like the Father? In what ways do you show the Father's love in your life? He forgives us. As long as we're willing to repent, He is there running to us. He restores us. And even when we're outside, even when we're throwing a pity party, even when we're prideful and down on ourselves, He comes out to us and invites us in. How can you show this love, this radical grace to those around you, to your families, to your friends, to the people you don't know, how can you with open arms embrace others with the love of Christ, with the love of the Father that is shown in this parable? And so the final challenge that I have for you is to show love as you've been shown. Father's arms are open. He's running to you. So wake up i got to wake up, confess, and return to the Father. Repent, return to the Father. It's, I know it's hard sometimes, but it's also easy. Jesus believes that we can be like him, that we can be his disciples. He is our rabbi and authority, and we need to choose to believe that he believes in us. Now, yes, we can't do it alone. We can't do it without the Spirit and without the community of believers but Jesus believes that we have what it takes to be his disciple. And as Christ followers, we are called out for this purpose. Jesus believed this so much 
that he also opened his arms on the cross for us. And he died so that we might have life. We are prodigal. We are also restored. So wake up and return to the Father. Return to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word, for the truth that is found in Scripture. We thank you that you have called us sons and daughters, that in Christ we are new, we are restored. I pray for strength and courage to take action, to get up and come back to you. Father, it's not going to be easy, but I pray that you would give us the perseverance that in your power we can come back to right relationship with you. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much that he has made it possible for us to return to you. Your love is unfailing, unending. I pray that we would rest in that. That all you have is ours. It's our inheritance. I pray that we wouldn't squander it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.